the results are always better if you take the time at the outset rather than just jumping straight to task. And it wasn't about the training plans and it wasn't about the sessions. It was about the people, it was about being able to give people belief and actually really caring about the athletes that you work with. Well, this, this is, I mean, we've talked about adaptability in the last few episodes and I guess this is about us starting to adapt to the future. Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. This is number four in the first series of our podcast on living the ultra life. The episode we put out last week, episode number three, seems to have been well received as we had a lot of positive feedback and further one-to-one conversations about it, which we're always grateful for. In episode three, which was the continuation of our discussion on adaptability, a topic that's particularly relevant for us all at the moment, James and I talked more about nourishing those skills and taking the learnings from all areas of our lives into our training and racing, and also how our running challenges and how we overcome those challenges can give us much more confidence and freedom from fear in our day-to-day lives. Much of the discussion over the last few episodes has been about learning from past experiences, but in order to fully cover the topic of adaptability, we felt that a future-focused discussion might be useful for us all as we try to start imagining a new version of normal post-COVID-19. We have a few questions from our community that have been backing up, so we'll look to answer some of those today. And James is here to co-host once again. I could say he's a GB 24-hour runner and pylon coach, but I shouldn't. Uh, We recently had a discussion about labels and identity, which is something we're likely to touch on today. Uh, and we'll certainly delve deeper into it in later shows. So for today, I'm joined by just my friend, the boy from Croy, James Stewart. Here is episode four of the Pylon Ultra pod. All right, are we ready? Everything's good, everything's recording. Hi James, it's the start of a new week, it's Monday, how has lockdown been for you last week? Yeah, it's been it's been not too bad actually, with the, the weather, the weather's almost been teasingly good for, for the Easter period and with the kids being off and stuff, but it's actually allowed us to get out as a family and, and do some nice walks and I'm really lucky where I live because we've got nice trails, we've got a golf course behind us which is empty so you can walk around that and the kids, Kaylin loves running downhill he's got a thing about downhill running which he doesn't get from his dad i'll tell you that for nothing um and so he loves going to the golf course and he'll walk up a hill so he can get to run down it so there's this like oh we could walk up there and he's like yeah and i can run down so that's really nice because it's kind of lulling him into a false sense of exercise so we're really lucky we've got that in our doorstep and it's been nice just kind of still working from home making the most of that extra time that we've got um, so I'm relatively chilled could do with the restrictions being lifted but that'll happen at the right time yeah. for society not not for me yeah yeah I guess so and how's your training been going <clears throat> really really good we um, we did the piling wava challenge throughout April which was it was yeah. great to see so many people engage with and I would describe myself as moderately happy verging on enthusiastic and optimistic about how I performed in that um, I had some good good times, but I know I could have been better. On, only you could describe it that way, James. <laughs> your feelings that way. I know, I know, but you know that way. You're like, oh, could I get a few seconds off that there? And you know, to to have your Wava scores and training runs scoring in the mid eighties is is pretty good for for someone who's, yeah. you know, I'm getting on in my years, but it's still nice to be able to turn at some decent times. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you didn't win every single one. 
Yeah, yeah, not not them all. Um, and you know, <laughs> I can see that eats you up a little bit. <laughs> I know, I know. I need to get Bob Turner and just oh, maybe yeah. next time round I'll, I'll I'll knobble him so he'll cut his Achilles or something so he can't do them. But yeah, it was really good and it was good to see people engaging with that and that that gave a sense of purpose to the training. But outside of that, I felt on Saturday's long run we're recording this on Monday, I just felt yeah. really light and just feel felt like I was running without pressure and I think that, and, and without any tension and I think that's just a yeah. nice place to be just now whilst we wait on seeing what's happening with future events and well we'll get away from talking about events and talking about aims and ambitions Other perhaps, things. yeah Yeah, I think that's something we'll talk about today obviously, um, and what do you think of the last episode, it went live I think on Thursday last week, the feedback's been pretty positive, yeah? It's been it's been different feedback um, and, and, yeah. and in a really good way. So it feels like, we, I mean, we've talked a lot about how we'll just evolve this and we're kind of getting in here without a structure and a plan, which means that we're, we're forging the path as we go, sort of like chopping down those trees ahead of us and just seeing where it takes us out. And what was really interesting was we went into last week's conversation with zero structure. We had an idea of where yeah. we, what we wanted yeah. to talk about, but the conversation didn't end up anywhere near where we expected it to. And that was great, and I think people really engage with that when they heard, when they heard just the, the natural flow and the honesty of your your answers and stuff that you were talking about. I think people have really engaged with it, and some of the private messages I've had have been been excellent. And we did get one brilliant tweet, which we might call out later when we do our um, competition <laughs> time. Um, yeah, we might need to beep some of those. <laughs> yeah, but the point was, is I think I think it was really really nice to see that we're engaging with people on a human level first, and then on an athlete level second, because kind of what we're, we're shooting for really yeah it's funny how that episode was very different from the one we'd recorded two days before wasn't it like the content was just different can, first of all can you just let that go <laughs> no way no. I'm going to come back to this uh, yeah, I, I didn't mention I mean, it you did I know I know I know I'm really yeah it was but I think as well it's because we talked it out and then you'd got a chance to maybe refine and sharpen your points up because you'd, you, you know, yeah. I, maybe they said this and maybe they tweaked that. And there's something in that, you know, we talk a lot in podcasts or when you're doing presentations and no, no two conversations are ever the same. But the general gist was, but how you then went deeper on a couple of those subjects and really sharpened the points up come through in that podcast. And I think it was great to see it so well received and it's really encouraged us to continue. I'm just, I'm just chuffed you felt that I'd sharpened some points. <laughs> sharpened some for me. points, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, people don't know, but the first recording of that episode was four hours and 15 minutes long. Um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I was crying <laughs> and all sorts, it was terrible. Indeed. Anyway, shall we crack on then? Yes, let's do that. So, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, identity and labels have cropped up for us both after a discussion about where we see our future, both athletically and personally, in the second half of the year. And as we all try to adapt to this new life and lockdown and the changes again when it's finally lifted in whatever form that's going to be, we're all probably having some thoughts about who we are and what we want to do going forward. And without knowing it, some of that is really tied to the identities that we create for ourselves. And I thought it'd be a good place for us to start today, James, really. So how you might see this panning out for you, both in, in your, your running and your normal life, what next year might look like. You know, we're going to have this period that we're lifting out of lockdown, but longer term what might that look like for next year um will it significantly change in terms of your training and the racing that you want to do and and where and how you spend your time yeah oh without a doubt I, I, I was listening to a podcast at the weekend there and there was a, a bit of research being done that only nine percent of people 
want things to go back to the way they were. Yeah. Now, what people define as going back to will be very different by individuals. So for some people, that might be as simple as, I'm no longer going to do a two-hour commute in, out, in and out of London every day. That's insane. I can yeah. work from home. Yeah. Um, or for some others... <clears throat> Or for some others, that might be, actually, I'm going to have a complete and utter change of career or a change of focus or a change of life because this whole thing has given me perspective, which is, I think, a word we're going to return to time and time and time again because the current situation has given us a new perspective, but all it's really doing is accelerating that new perspective, whereas you always kind of get those changes in perspective, but they usually happen a wee bit slower and a wee bit more incremental. But we've kind of went into a revolution of perspective as opposed to an evolution of perspective. So for me, professionally, as you know, I work, it's quite a fast-paced environment to work in, it's hectic, and it has been absolutely 100 miles an hour since lockdown because of the things we've had to do to react. But at the same time, I feel like I'm getting much better balance with that now because I've taken out two hours of commute time every day, our managing directors who I speak to on a very regular basis are encouraging us to really think about balance within our day because they know it's untenable to be running at that pace all the time without breaking, almost like the same as it is physically. Um, and I, there's absolutely no way that my working life post-lockdown will be the same shape as it was before, both in terms of the things I focus on in work, how I get to work and how I manage the people within my team because I'm going to be much more human and considered and perspective orientated rather than task orientated in the moment but also I'm going to really be even more selfish about my own sense of well-being and within that whether that's my physical or my mental well-being and I'm going to own that and I'm going to own that overtly and I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to lead with that in conversations with my peers and my my seniors and that's a big thing professionally. Yeah, you kind of mentioned there about um, in the workplace and the people that work for you, you're going to be more human-centred. So have you had some kind of realisation that maybe the way you have done things in the past maybe wasn't particularly helpful for you or because you've had this this greater level of freedom now, I guess, on your own side of things, has that has that awakened you to something else, do you think? And, and do you think these companies will really, you know, they'll pay lip service at the moment because they want you to be able to function and continue doing the great job that you're doing. But then when everything goes back to normal, there's that risk that it's just, it's back to the same old thing, you know, being in the office every day and, and, and putting in those hours and being in front of people. There's there's a, a real risk you can revert to habit and type what you used to do because that's, <clears throat> that's where comfort is because you're not stretching yourself too much, but you're also avoiding not being too low, if you like. Um, and I think it's incumbent upon all of us as workers to keep in mind what we've gone through just now and to bring that back in. And I think I've got a senior leadership position and therefore not only is it incumbent upon me to make sure that's right for me, but also for the people around me. And when I say more human-centric, I guess I quite often, when the pressure's on, I will jump to task, get stuff done, get stuff done, get stuff done. I need you to do this, I need you to do that. Rather than maybe taking the time to explain it, to give perspective and context, and to get people bought in. So rather than going through that emotional journey with them, I want them to go straight from need to do, rather than understanding, getting engaged, taking ownership, and actually getting actually engaged in what it is we're trying to achieve. So I need to get better at that because I know from what I've seen going through this period that the results are always better if you take the time at the outset rather than just jumping straight to task. So that's the big thing for me. So. And, and I am really, I'll lead with emotion when I'm working with the, the, the team I work yeah. with. 
But at the same time, I know sometimes I lead with my energy and not everyone else runs like that. So you've got, I'm quite extrovert. You might have the introverts who just need a wee bit more time and support. And sometimes I'm really, I'm blind to that because it's one of my failings. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And from then from a training and running perspective, how will you change or will you will there be significant changes in where you choose to race to start off, to start from uh, the types of races that you'll do and, and how will training adapt or, or what good things have you learned from this period that you will take into your training? Oh, right. So I've, I've often said that I, um, I train to train, I don't train to race and racing's a byproduct of the training I do. And, and I mean that in the sense that I would lead with that and I would talk like that, but I still enjoy the, ra- the racing and I still enjoy the profile and the you know the engagement you get when you're running for GB or you're winning races or what have you. So there's there's no getting away from that. That that's that's a good thing, and we all enjoy that. I think for me, I need to I need to live that a wee bit more now because what what I've realised is is I've really enjoyed training over the last six weeks even though there's probably not going to be a race at the end of it, at least for a, at least for four, five, six months. I'm not optimistic yeah. the European champs will go ahead in September. I think uh, the best case scenario is it gets delayed six to eight weeks. Um, yeah. And what, what I've found is is that my running, I used the phrase there about being a wee bit more selfish from a, a you know, well-being workplace point of view. I'm going to be a wee bit more like that from a training and, and racing point of view. And I'm, I'm probably going to... I'd already I'd already started this evolution, and I think the endeavours that helped with this, this evolution of moving from racing to adventure, yeah. to testing your limits in new spheres, not necessarily running around a track or doing point to point against other people, but competing yeah. against yourself. Um, and I can see that evolution being accelerated as I go through this. There's things that I'm excited to explore um, over the next however long that I would never have thought about had I not been given that stillness just now to be a bit more creative about what I do. Yeah, so there's been some opportunity in it. Oh, yeah. I've been thinking about it quite a lot in terms of how my racing, um, it's kind of come to define who I am as a person in some way, and and I've almost allowed that to happen. And I think it's easier... or it's more difficult when your entire life is is about running. You know, it's my business. It's it's what I do. Um, you know, I race as part of um, my job, effectively. Yep. And it's everything that I'm doing. So, it almost becomes that the races and um, having a level of success in racing has become who I am and defined me as a person, which is really it's kind of risky in a way. I think, and I've I've been very aware of that recently. And as much as I try to. It is tied. My identity is tied to my performances at the moment, currently, and there's an opportunity for me to change it. I think, because, like you said, wins ultimately they do feel good, even though it's very short-lived, and it's been certainly short-lived for me. It might even be, you know, a couple of minutes after the race. I'm like, hmm, yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite get that feeling of satisfaction that I thought I might. You know, it's not like I'm ever walking away from any big race win I've had, thinking, you know, I'm really, I really feel good about myself or anything. So, um. Yeah, it's it's difficult, and I think it can be more challenging when you maybe don't have other support around you. And I think uh, some people like yourself maybe have an advantage in that you've got family around you and you've got a other focus in your life as well as just running. When it's just running, then I can't help if I have a poor performance, for example, in a race that I'm walking away thinking, well, I failed. This is the one thing that I'm supposed to be good at is, is running and racing. 
and I've had a bad day, so I'm ultimately failing as a human. And I think it's it's maybe easier sometimes uh, when you're in like a supportive relationship because you can always be walking away saying, "Well, I'm still a great dad, you know. I, I still I still work really well, and I look after people in my work situation, all that kind of stuff." Whereas sometimes when you, it's too tied to your identity, then you're actually it's a big risk to yourself, I think, and you start to question more than you should because ultimately races, like we've talked about before, they're they're manufactured events, you know, with. Yep with an outcome of, of some kind there's going to be an outcome whether you're in the top 10 or not it doesn't really matter but yeah it's a bit of a tricky one I think when you're when you're emotionally tied to, to something like that and then it's taken away from you but so so I mean that then maybe comes back to that word we used earlier around perspective um, and do you back you know coming maybe taking it back to yourself do you feel that your perspective is beginning to evolve with your future outlook on the back of what we've gone through but also actually you could probably take that right back to the start of the year for you yeah I think I've always, well, certainly for the last few years, I've been much more aware of, of what I value, um, and that includes what I do with my running. Um, so that adventure side of things is really high in my priority list, and it's never been higher really over the last few years, and that's why we've done some of the Endeavour events particularly, um, and then I've done other things on my own that is maybe just, I don't know, running the UTMB route on your own over a couple of days, all that kind of stuff I really love doing. And I've had a lot of ideas over the years, which some of those have been manifest in, in what we've ended up doing for Endeavour. And I've got a few more of those. And I definitely, in the last few days, actually, I've been thinking, well, I need to go and make this happen now. One in particular. And that would be a huge amount of work to do just to get organised for it and to get ready for it. Uh, but it feels like it's the right time now. And the only complication being that, that travel, our attitude to travel might change, I guess, yep. um, over the coming months. You know, I don't know how you feel about that, especially when you've you've done some foreign races and you've raced out in the US. Yeah, I was I was already I'd already made a pledge that I wouldn't do a domestic flight this year with work, um, because I'm really conscious of our impact on the climate, um, and I'm hooked in with a few other runners soon. We're kind of bouncing off each other about that simple things like, you know refusing medals and t-shirts and all that stuff were kind of starting to become the norm for us but the big thing for me was flights and I, I'm due to go to Canada in July and whether that happens or not it's very doubtful but even that I'm, I was already moving towards mm, should I be flying as much so I'm, I'm with you I'm not likely to fly abroad just to do an event and might want to try and find other ways to that so I may never race in America again um, unless it's yeah. unless it's a say an international event that um, I've been selected to do, I th I, there's a bit of me starting to feel it would be a wee bit selfish, and I guess that's the perspective bit of it that says maybe that's not the right thing for me anymore. And actually, it's maybe more about domestic adventures or adventures that you can cover long distances under your own steam or in more um, carbon friendly travel. So yeah, and I think back to that evolution, I was evolving my thinking on that, and I think this situation's accelerated it. Yeah, so very much from the environmental side. I was thinking actually more of it might be risky to take on events, you know, in foreign countries, more risky because there's always that uh, opportunity that there's some, you know, COVID-19 or an, another kind of relapse of, of what's been happening. And then, you know, you've invested time and effort and money into potentially a race that's three months down the line. And, and you know full well that we just don't have the same security as we had before. There's no guarantees that that race is going to go ahead, which can be frustrating obviously particularly if you're looking to train well for it so yeah. then you might be safer to do something that you're a bit more in control of yeah no on that basis yeah 100 percent as well um i i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't even 
enter another race until I know what's happening with this. So I've got the European Champs in September, um, and I've got my eye on a couple of adventures. And as we ease out of this, I will I will prioritise those adventures over races. Yeah, there's a few races that are on my bucket list now that I probably would never jump to now. They're no they're no longer on my bucket list because actually my 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 motivation for doing them was probably mm. more about satisfying maybe even others rather than myself and actually satisfying myself doesn't need some of those things anymore yeah yeah so no it's fair it's a fair point I think I, I was moving towards that kind of reducing flights yeah, and, yeah. and travel because of the environmental stuff but I think it's just been I think it's just been cemented now that says actually I, I was already 50-50 now I'm less likely yeah 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 it's so going, it's going to be a big switch for people to to step away a little bit from the importance of racing and and the recognition that they feel and the justification for doing all the training that they do to doing something that's a bit more personal but I think it'll be important that if people are going to make that switch then they almost have to set it up like it is an event you know and and commit to doing it and commit to a date that you know might have to change because of weather or conditions or anything else but unless you actually commit to doing something and, and maybe at times that has to be public because it gives you that accountability then. Um, otherwise, there's just a chance that people will just go out and do long runs and, and, and maybe not get the satisfaction, the same sense of satisfaction that they get from racing. Well, this, this is, I mean, we, we talked about adaptability in the last two episodes and I guess this is about us starting to adapt to the future. And the the thing about adapting to the future is is we don't know what it is. We don't yeah. know. I mean, we, we, are, we, we are really keen that these podcasts aren't time-stamped but we are in a world that we're in just now where the future has probably, certainly for us as a generation of, of um, humans, has never been as uncertain. And that we we don't even know if next weekend we'll be allowed to be out of our house for more than an hour. Yeah. And so we're having to adapt to that new norm. But what we also know is, is there is no there is no return to where we were, at least not for a period of months and maybe years. So, or ever, James. I think people yeah. need to accept that that life has changed forever now, and and we're almost telling ourselves, and maybe driven by the media a little bit, that once we come out of lockdown, you know, we'll be back to some kind of normal. I don't think it'll ever be necessarily the same again. No, and and what we've got to take is the as we, we've talked about before is we've got to take the opportunities that that potential frustration can bring, and adapt what we do, to to make the best of that, and that actually might be better than where we are today. Once you once you take advantage of those opportunities. So for me, if you were to say to me, what's your greatest running memories? My greatest running memories are always, always, but if I close my eyes and think about them, are always yeah. when I've done things that have connected with me. And it's always ended up being something that somehow I've found an emotional connection, which would be like when we were running towards the um, the, the pub at Kirk Geltholm, um earlier this <laughs> year, and we're all running hand in hand together. And you go, that when I close my eyes, that's the image that comes to mind. Yeah, I, I wonder why at times we, we give racing in these events much higher priority than some of the stuff that we can create ourselves because we've had some incredible moments in in both the endeavours that we've done together as a team they've almost been like the highlights of the year even though we've raced in really big races and exciting times and had really fantastic results as well those are the ones that really stick in your mind there absolutely and and it's it's funny but i think races just become focuses they become aims they become obsessions and maybe Maybe throw this out there and be interesting to see what people who are listening think is is maybe races just belie a lack of imagination. Maybe. I don't know if it's, it becomes 
it becomes some form of social currency or something, you know, because yeah. you've, you've competed in whatever it was, the West Highland Way or Western States 100 or something, which is a shame. It just, sometimes it feels like people have a list of races they want to tick off. And it's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing, but... I don't, and again, it's whatever whatever an individual likes. I think a good example of that would be um, a good example of that would be people who try to do the marathons A to Z, so they can say I've run in Athens and I've run in Zanzibar, yeah, and yeah. but that gives them a focus and a purpose to their training and gives them satisfaction, which is absolutely fine. But that currency is likely to be devalued in the future. So thinking about that, Paul. That the currency of racing, let's use that language because I think I think that's got a, a kind of a neat. Um, hook to it. Yeah. Have you seen athletes that you coach start to adapt to this new norm and maybe even start to change their future focus towards what they may choose to do going forward as opposed to just going the next race and then the race after that? Yeah, I think it's difficult at the moment for people to make concrete commitments or plans, you know, because we're in this stage of limbo at the moment. But I can definitely, I definitely get a sense of it from people that they're thinking wider and they're thinking about stuff that they really want to do and stuff that they're really passionate about which is a great thing um so i think we've talked about it in previous episodes i think people can get caught up in doing the races that they think they should be doing or the races that you know their friend has suggested they should do or or even just getting caught up in the well that's the one i'm kind of good at so that's the one i'm going to do even though it's not the one that really excites you so i think there is a big opportunity for people to change their mindset a little bit and and to be a bit more adventurous and Going back to your point, being a wee bit more creative about it, I was actually really encouraged this weekend just in training. People were running a little bit longer than they had done in previous weeks and, and months uh, with the lockdown, which is fine. Um, they're all staying within guidelines or recommendations and not taking any risks, but people are finding some really interesting routes and trails to try and hook up or to join together and, and do stuff that they wouldn't normally do. And that's, I guess that's the beauty of creativity sometimes when you put some kind of limits either side of it then it pushes people to be even more creative and, and maybe people will get a lot more confidence from that going forward and, and maybe turn those into bigger events and um, and more ambitious um, challenges, effectively. Yeah, and I guess it's from that necessity, that creativity, that space that they've given themselves. You know, we talked about it, the, the whole thing being, you know, stillness creates creativity. Stillness can be, doesn't mean you actually have to physically sit, sit still. It might be stillness of focus. So instead of being focused on this, manufactured event to use your phrase actually i can go out and just run for me so yeah. i'm going to connect these trig points like i seen someone do at the weekend or i'm going to go you know up here then i'm going to heather bash and i'm going to you know i'm going to run through the the bogs until i find a way to get from this point i'm standing in here to that hill that i can see in the distance that i've yeah. no idea how to get to yeah. um so you're absolutely right and it's actually a nice reminder for me that i need to do that as well yeah you know and and I'm 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 going to make a commitment to do something different this weekend, whilst I've got no other reason not to. Yeah, I think we saw that really clearly from Endeavour. Sorry for going back to Endeavour and the the Cape Wrath part of it. Um, it's not where you normally run. It's not your kind of terrain or territory no. normally. So it was challenging for you, but when you came out of that, I could see it in your face. I could see it in your eyes. You know, it was like wow. That was that was incredible to do something that was well out of your comfort zone. So that was I, PTSD, Paul. That was, <laughs> is that what it was? <laughs> That's what it was. was. Yeah, I did think yeah. you were a bit of shock, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's not talk about. It. I mean, if you had I seen my face after that overnight section, myself and Grant done, because <laughs> um, you you'd already moved because you were doing the leg after the one that I was handing over to, 
I was like, oh my god, I'm never going up there again. I, but I I'm think, kind of I think starting we have to, to talk about this at some point. Maybe we'll have a, <laughs> yeah. a, a longer session about it. What, once my counsellor frees me up to talk publicly <laughs> about it, I will. Yeah. Uh, Love it, James Brown. So it's good. To, it's good to hear that people are starting to adapt to these new norms, and I guess that I think that's really important. Um, that we don't just fixate ourselves on that what was and expect that to be what is going forward. And I think the big message for everyone is is you can kind of control what you choose to move towards. And the sooner you start to think about what that looks like, the more likely you're going to choose something that maybe connects with you on a different level than just a medal and the finisher's t-shirt. So something to think about, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of questions then, shall we move on to some community questions? We have a few backed up that we haven't answered yet because last week uh, we ended up talking longer than we probably expected. Um, so I've got a few yes. to play if you want to go through them, yeah? Hi, it's Dave Begbie. My question is mainly for Paul, but I would certainly be interested to hear what the other coaches' opinions were too. The question is centred around coaching philosophy and Paul's thoughts on his own personal coaching style. Has he learnt along the way? Has he learnt from anyone in particular or has it been trial and error? What are his inspirations and why does he always know the right thing to say? Secondly, how does Paul's coaching style transfer to the other coaches as I am sure each coach has their own opinions on what works and what doesn't? Thanks. Question there from Dave. Uh, I guess I'll kick off in terms of where we are from a business perspective. I think people ultimately come to us for results in terms of positions and distances but I actually see it being much deeper than that and it's really about a consistent and persistent pursuit of of the potential that they have within themselves and it's really a human thing for me more than it is an athletic thing deliberately I think it's the right thing so I see my role as really just helping people to open the door into what's already inside of them and really help them to see that the potential that's in there that they can't maybe see for themselves because it's often, it's often wrapped up in stories and beliefs that they've picked up just in their time training and racing that they've done already. And it can be more deep-rooted stuff from way back in your childhood and growing up and some of the put-downs that maybe are perceived negative experiences that they've had over the years. So for me personally, it's great to work with all levels of athlete. I get just as much from someone looking to complete their first 50k as I do from somebody like... James running for GB or Kaz stepping on the podium in a big US 200 miler. I love working with people who come into the relationship thinking it's just about training smarter and getting faster and after a few months you start to sense other things going on and changes for the better like changes to the lifestyle, how they interact with their partners and friends and how they choose to spend their time and who they choose to spend their time with and none of that's me driving those changes it's just about me creating an open space to allow those seeds to germinate if you like but you can only really do that by leading by example I guess and I always try to do the best that I possibly can and I think people get that sense from me um, and it becomes something that we end up connecting on I think that we're both athlete and coach are connecting on that level of really trying to be your best in in all aspects of your training but it goes it goes further than the training and the racing uh, on my side of things certainly so in terms of learning from my side of things I've learned a lot along the way this is now my sixth year um, of having pylon coaching and it's changed a lot since then the important stuff for me is I've got a good feel for it now 
things like the techniques and the scheduling and the analysis and workout structures, they're always going to change and they're always going to improve and they're always going to evolve. But I think it's the basic stuff that's really big to me. And it took me years to realise that really because I was very precious about you know, workouts that I've designed or anything like that. And it's actually not really the important stuff. The big thing that I noticed really is, and it's trying to break down with people, is resistance. And that could be a separate thing that we talk about, I think, maybe going forward in another episode. And I don't know if it kind of, I read, um, I don't know if you've read uh, The War of Art or Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield. Really yep. short books, but they're really worth picking up. Um and it wasn't really anything to do with running and I didn't realise it had sunk in for a while um, until I started coaching and then I started to see it really clearly in that resistance is something that holds us all back. You know, we get resistant to things that people tell us or or we don't want to do things in a certain way because that's the way we've always done them. And it's funny, um, I see it particularly with new clients when they start. Not that many come in on day one and be really open to new ways of doing things, which is probably... It's quite different for you or maybe difficult for you to understand James because you were always quite open and like well okay I'm investing this time and um, I expect to be challenged and, and for things to change so people will come in and they're very resistant to the coaching from day one almost so they've they it's almost like they want to prove that they were right all along and they knew how to train properly before they got a coach almost and it takes a while to get over that for me sometimes. And I guess it, that ultimately is a trust thing. And it takes time to build some trust between athlete and, and coach. And that's fine. And it takes a level of openness and vulnerability from both from both sides. And I don't think you can really rush those stages either. So it's like people have committed. They've done their research. And I've maybe asked them a whole series of questions to try and understand who they are and where they're coming from and what motivates them. They've done the research. They've maybe spoken to some other people about, well, what's it like when you're being coached by by Paul or by James or by anybody else and you would think they would be coming in totally open to the opportunity but it doesn't always happen that way and it takes some time and it, everybody takes a different length of time and, and I almost need to stand back sometimes and let people and demonstrate what's happening and demonstrate the benefits rather than just telling them what I think the benefits are you know you need to get that buy-in and people need to make some mistakes sometimes and, and learn their own way there's a lot to get out of the way initially and it's great when you start getting through that because you start having a really close relationship with with athletes, and and that's where, that's where the good stuff lies, and that's where the real transformation comes. I think. So I used to, I probably used to think initially that the value of my coaching was all about the sessions, and and now I realise that that stuff really isn't where where the magic happens, or isn't really where the development happens in athletes and as them as individuals and and humans and and how they live their lives as well. So if you can, if I can get over those areas of resistance, I think, then that's when we can start really working together and and taking some steps forward. So for wow. me, in short, probably I think coaching is all about people. It's not about plans, ultimately. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And Dave Dave asks how much your philosophy is groupthink philosophy, and I think maybe I, I'll speak as someone who's wasn't here i was here six years ago actually yeah. um at, at the at the start as a vanguard as one of the athletes um luckily enough but one of the things you've always sought when you've started to bring people around to work with you on this and other coaches is that diversity of thinking and diversity of experience which i'm sure we will talk about at some other point yeah and 
the worst thing that would could ever happen is is for us just to be facsimiles of you yeah. and for you to go right this is how you do the plan this is how you you work it yes there's the framework there's when you do stuff this is this is kind of how you engage but find your own way and i know that i do things differently from you i know that you've shared stuff with me and i've shared stuff with you and we both then went like the middle bit but prefer the outer edges in my own way yeah. but the fundamental thing that applies through everything and the reason i coach within this framework is is what you talked about earlier which is it's not about making people faster fitter and give them yeah. more podiums that's not the primary aim that'll come with the other stuff and that'll augment the other stuff fundamentally it's about their sense of well-being as individuals which then will show through in how they are in their day-to-day and when they pull their trainers on yeah i mean it was it was it was a big step for me um almost going back to some of the conversation last week about you know fear of failure or or of being brave enough to push on and, and push your business on i i knew that i i couldn't do everything myself if i wanted to grow the business and i wanted to have a bigger impact then i had to bring people on and for me it was no accident that it ended up being people that i've worked with um and i've coached for quite a long period you were the first person that i brought on as a coach and it was probably more difficult for you than it has been for subsequent coaches coming on because I had that level of nervousness and, and we talked about it at length yep. and it was the right thing to do and I think I, I kind of I was clear with you about how much it meant to me what I do in the business and, and I knew I was going to have to let some control or, or let out some control which was fine uh, I was willing to accept that kind of thing and I knew you would do things differently and do things your own way and, and that was right. I wanted that and I wanted to be able to learn from you as well. Um and that was really important. But yeah, it's it's always difficult um when you have built something as as a one man band effectively and um your livelihood seems dependent on it to open things up. But it's just been it's been growth since then. It's been an incredible journey, I think. But it's because I had the confidence that you you understood what it was all about and it wasn't about the training plans and it wasn't about the sessions it was about the people it was about being able to give people belief and actually really caring about the athletes that you work with and i knew i knew you you would get that bit of it the rest can be sorted you know sessions and everything else they're ultimately not what people are paying the money for they think that's what they're paying the money for but it's not it's about that belief and um actually caring and and wanting people to get the best from themselves yeah yeah totally agree totally agree i mean we could probably do a full episode on that journey for you because yeah. kind of when, when we stopped off the conversation last week we almost that was almost a stop point and maybe one will revisit in future just how how that journey felt for you and actually what it meant in terms of the new skills that it gave you going forward and actually what it felt, felt for me because i developed loads in that period as well you could put an eastenders theme tune over that paul and just leave it there and move <laughs> on to the next question <laughs> yeah I think it's been great and like I'm 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 incredibly lucky that we've got a team of four now and we're yep. all very different like you say uh, but we all have that same understanding of of what what is important at its core what's important and it's about that belief and believing in people and um translating that and caring about what we're doing and um it not necessarily being about putting people on podiums yeah totally totally cool we've got another question shall we push on with that yeah yeah let's go with that one Alrighty. This is a question from John Kiniston, who uh, runs and manages the West Highland Way podcast. If you've ever listened to that, a lot of people have. It's a great podcast. He interviews a lot of athletes and people associated with the race. Uh, so you can always give that a listen. I'll just play the question now. Firstly, thank you very much for your new podcasts. I'm really enjoying them. 
My question is this, do you think it's advisable or possible to train for a road marathon ultra and an off-road ultra? So for example, uh, possible to train for a 24-hour race around a track or one kilometer loops at the same time as training for a, a hilly 100-mile off-road race. Or even, for example, training for the London Marathon in April and the West Island Way race in June. Interested to hear your thoughts about whether it's possible to prepare and train for both at the same time. Thank you. James, do you want to start with that? You've obviously got a fair amount of experience of running in small loops and then doing longer trail races. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think a, the easy answer to this is, is yes, it's possible. Anything is possible. Yeah. The debate would be, and there's obviously you could go back to university level research and get into it in really, you know, deep detail. The debate would be is can you give your best in all those things? So we talk a wee bit about personal experience for me. 2016, I ran the 100k Anglo-Celtic plate in end of March. So the winter training was focused on that. First time I'd run 100k, which you told me about six weeks out from the race <laughs> is brutal and yeah. it breaks you. And I'm yeah, like, whatever, it's, it's only 100k and there's else. no hills. Yeah. How yeah. can it be hard? I was quickly to find out how brutal an event that was. But the, the whole focus of the winter training was on speed endurance, you know, running hard over that distance. But I went from that as a timeline from that in March to running the West Highland Way in June yeah. to then going from June to running the Tootenbeck Track 24 in September yeah. and then doing that and going from that race to running Rocky Raccoon 100 mile trail race in February. So within a year, 100k flat, West Highland Way, hilly, 100 mi- 100, uh, 24 hour on the track and then over to do a, a trail race um, um, which wasn't maybe 7,000 feet of climb but it's quite rooty so it's quite yeah. quite a good trail and if you think about it John's John's question says can basically can you transcend those different disciplines and the answer to me is yes but there comes a point in the training where specificity has to kick in and if you're going to do London Marathon then the West Highland Way you would probably have to be saying the London Marathon we have to choose which one of them is your A race where your most of your focus is going because those training blocks are going to overlap each other. You know, you're I going think April that's, to that's always the issue with athletes when I try to ask them, well, what's your priority in terms of races? And they're like, they're all priority. If everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Well, well <clears throat> exactly. And John, you, let, let's use a pylon athlete because he's on record on John's podcast last year. Martin Gray yeah. um, trained and ran, I think it was Manchester Marathon, but it was April and then did West Highland Way. But as we trained, it was all about giving them the speed and endurance to PB at Manchester. And we, we said you probably wouldn't reach his potential in Manchester because at the same time we're trying to make sure we're weaving enough endurance in there to get him ready for coming out of that after a short break to be ready for the West Highland Way. And and he he done really well at both events. Done really well at both events. And I firmly believe if he was only doing the marathon at West Highland Way, we'd maybe get a minute or two better in the marathon. But that wasn't the focus. It was to get him ready for the West Highland Way because that was his A race. So you yeah. can train for both, but I do think you have to make, when you've got races that close together, you have to make a, a, a decision. I think optimally, maybe two, maybe three A races a year and with enough gap between them if there's differences in discipline to give you the chance to get that specificity in. But I do think it's easier to go from a West Highland Way to a track race than it is the other way around because I think you can take that endurance into the track. Yeah, I think the order's important. Yeah. I, I don't think, well, depending on how John meant his question to come across, I, I don't think there are advantages in doing it that way at all. 
Um, I think you can do it and you can mitigate yep. and you can have good performances in both, but I don't think it's an advantage to do very different race types. I've had a lot of experience, obviously, with people like Debbie, um, yep. who's been <laughs> one to do fast <laughs> marathons and then on the track for 100 miles and then like some of the biggest European mountain races um, you could possibly throw yourself at. So it is challenging and it does take some compromise in training. And that ultimately has to come down to a level of priority. And it's not necessarily just bumping something from an A to a C race necessarily, but it's just about having the space in their training plan to allow them to work on other things that are not specifically focused about the next race that's coming. Um, so like you talked about with Martin, you know, you have to do some, you maybe would, you maybe still have to hang on to some of the longer runs when you were still training for a marathon that you wouldn't necessarily have to do in a normal marathon plan. Yeah. And you need that commitment from an athlete in order to make it work, I think. And then I guess it helps if the intensity of the events are going to be kind of similar. So something like a 24-hour track race, maybe, um might be similar in terms of intensity to a 100 mile um, trail race if it's not you know like a really um, steep or demanding one um, on a physical side of things um, then you could argue the intensity is similar you'll be running for a shorter time in your 100 mile race than you will necessarily on your 24 hour track race but um, yeah. because you're not you're not running at the same pace in a 24 hour race as you would necessarily in a 100 mile race um, so you can kind of get something that's relatively close in terms of intensity maybe helps and like you'd suggested already, the order can be prioritised or if you're able to prioritise, then I definitely, well, funny you mentioned about the track race. Um, I think maybe two of my West Island Way wins, certainly two anyway, I had run an Anglo-Celtic plate, I think, uh, which was only whatever it is, six or seven weeks before it. Um, and not always had a great result in that but then I've gone on to have a good result in the West Island way so there's definitely something in that speed endurance I think that can be useful I think the training for the Anglo-Celtic play at the 100k is some of the best and most brilliant training you can do yeah and it, and it, I think that then gives you a great grounding for anything else you do after that um, even though it's brutal and you're wiping snotters from your face for seven hours and all of that it's still brilliant it's, yeah. it's still excellent training you know but what what if what what's interesting is you were talking through that paul i was actually starting to think about really was talking about almost interdiscipline training here um and obviously in ultra running you need these extreme gaps between stuff but you could even take this right back to athletics where someone let's say carol lewis would do the hundred meters he would do the relay but he would also do the long jump yeah and i think there's a bit about athlete aptitude as well about their ability to you know do across multiple disciplines and maybe they don't need to do 100% focus on one thing to be the best at that the way Carol Lewis did with the long jump in 100 meters whereas someone would specialize in long jump because they maybe couldn't they couldn't take their eye off that ball and why you've got people like the athletes and heptathletes so there's something in saying there's an optimal that you would say is the kind of standard book but actually each individual has probably got a big part to play in that in terms of just what they're capable of physically and mentally too. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always clever things you can do in training to to get around some of those restrictions as well. People like yeah, uh, Casey Lightig, who is one Western States. She she lives somewhere that's got no hills at all, um, and yet Western States has got a big downhill part that really destroys people. She's managed to go in and win that race. So there are ways to go about it and to get better at it. But then you could argue that our performances. Um, have been less successful at the likes of UTMB where there's much, much more ascent. So some speci specificity always helps. S some specificity, whatever it is. Yeah, Spec specific training. 
Yeah, specific yeah. training. Okay, nice one. <laughs> All right, I hope that answers your question slightly, John. It was maybe long-winded, but it's a it's a good point to talk about, actually. Um, it comes up quite a lot with, with our athletes. People um, get excited about different types of events and they want to do a lot in the same season. Debbie. Yeah, you know, the amount of times when you've looked through someone's calendar and you're like, you've got a race every three weeks. Yeah, like, wow, uh, very different yeah. races. Yeah. Okay, shall we um, head on to some of the reviews of the week, James? Yes, let me just grab my device. Um, so last week we did Darjeeling Dave and Spotify and get in touch with you. Uh, I haven't seen anything from Darjeeling Dave. Perhaps we're not his cup of tea, James. Uh, but I have Spot- Spotify got in touch. Um, so oh, brilliant. I should have remembered who it was and I could have announced him here. But uh, Spotify, uh, I've got his details. Um, so I'll be sending something out there in the next week or two. Super stuff. Well, we um, we continue to see some great reviews come through and we are super, super, super grateful for them. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to pun these up as well. Um, as we did last time um, so we're going to pick out two people and actually Paul if, if you're comfortable with and you can cut this out from the podcast we're going to okay. pick out um, our favourite tweet of the week um, because I just think <laughs> it's made me so many people it, yeah. laugh Yeah. Um, but also there was a, a brilliant review on um, Apple iTunes um, about the podcast as well so this was left on Saturday by SWG86 okay no idea who that might be um, but they said really enjoying this podcast so far thought provoking topics done with genuineness that is often lacking or feels forced in other podcasts feels like a natural progression from Paul's old blog which was always an interesting read with James as an ideal co-host who can bring insight from both work and running life also James is really handsome I maybe made that last bit yeah, up yeah I was thinking um, because you did the video up. yeah no because you did the video last week oh James is handsome <laughs> keep up the good work so thank you very much SWG86 thank so, you so um, that is really really nice to write and I'm just going to jump over onto Twitter because um, this is a, an, an old friend of mine who um, who is this, a, is, is this a cry connection James He's actually, well, his name is Boyle Kandarit, which is Kandarit is a, oh, a village about two away. miles yeah. from Croy. Yeah, yeah. And his, his review was, <laughs> ever wanted to sh** a podcast? Get this downloaded and listen to it and you might want to pump it. Um, keep up the good work, guys. Um, so we, you might need to cut that out, Paul, genuinely. But, um, yeah. but that's that's a, an, a, another good example of someone who is looking at both the life and the work elements of this as well. So that's Brian, who's who's trying to get back into running as well. Um, and let's just do one more from um, from the iTunes view. Um, and this was left a week ago today from Devin DSC. I think that might be Devin Scott. All right. Yeah. These guys know their stuff and their experience and lessons they talk about can be applied to any runner, any amount of experience in pretty much any race length. If you like running podcasts, 100% add this to your library. Keep up the good work, guys. Nice one. So, there's been some really lovely reviews, and as you said, Paul, we've had some brilliant constructive stuff back. Um, we've had some people engaging with the podcast from last week around how natural the conversation felt, because that's how it was. And I, and I guess we would ask people to continue to do those reviews and subscribe and like and share the podcast, because it really motivates us to keep going and knowing that we're yeah. making a difference to just a handful of people is... Well, it's exciting. Yeah, that's good. So if your name was read out there, get in touch uh, by email or through social media and we'll sort out a small prize for you uh, yeah. whenever we can get to the post office. In the next five or six hundred years. 
from now. Yeah. <laughs> Won't be that long. Maybe maybe we could change that. Uh, Paul, you know, you talked about your business and maybe diversifying and all that stuff. What about the piling pigeon? I wonder if we can maybe maybe we could bring in pigeon express no, we'll just, again. We'll just build it into long runs, James. Let's hope. Good you, point. Let's hope you get somebody from Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> for your uh, delivery yeah. and then and then SWG86 comes back and says yeah if you could just deliver that to um, the south of France that would be amazing yeah, yeah. so that that would be pretty good Yeah, running through the channel that would be good so yes that's cool. that shall we wrap it up here for the day we will we will um, we're 58 minutes in including our break from earlier so All yeah right. let's wrap it up okay well hopefully I think we've covered as much as we can on adaptability and uh we need to get our thinking caps on now for the next few weeks. Um, in terms of uh, the frequency of these, initially we wanted to get you know, four to six out regularly and probably weekly, which we've been doing. It's a lot of work for us to do and to plan and it takes up a lot of time to um, record and then to do the edits and for James to write the blogs and everything else as well. So we might move to a fortnightly um, frequency, but we'll keep you posted on anything too. Like James had said, if you're enjoying listening and you want more then please leave us a comment or a review or get in touch and share it on social media it's really useful for us it helps us to feel like we're it's worthwhile us investing the time in, in doing these so thank you oh and paul we ne- nearly forgot because it's kind of tradition i've got a question for you oh did you just think that up there well no actually i just remembered that i thought it up earlier and then i was like i better ask that and then you were doing that outro and i thought i better ask my question so my questions there's two questions you question one, one it's okay that's like there's a hyphen between them. Question one is what bit of running kit could you never live without? You would take with you no matter where you go. Oh. Uh, running kit well, obviously you'd have to go towards shoes first of all. Because I don't uh, I, I, I generally yeah. don't like running barefoot. I, I I do like to run in minimal shoes, but I don't like running barefoot. It's too painful for my okay. soft soft feet. Um but other th- over and above shoes, um, I think a really good like racing vest is, is handy for me, and I actually wear it at times, but it's just to carry my phone or something because it's super comfortable. Um, I have like a compress sport one, which is like a piece of clothing effectively, so you kind of forget you're wearing it. It's handy to have everywhere. You can take it when you're going to the shops and stuff, and you can manage to cram some stuff in. Good for a jacket and stuff as well when it's if you're staying in Scotland or the weather's bad. Yeah. Yeah, first first running bag I ever bought, running vest, was a, a an Innovate one, and honestly, it was like having a sack of tatties on my back. They've, they've, um, so, so, they've changed they've so much over the last so few much, years. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, it's like another skin. Next one, though, is food and races. Is there a bit of food, and what is it that you can no longer eat now because it brings back harrowing memories of a race barf? Oh, yeah, gels. <laughs> I gels. still have them, but no, it was... Uh, Many years ago, I did a 24-hour off-road race um, and I had a bunch of gels and it was through a sponsorship thing and it was it was Cliff Gels, which are generally nice. I used to yeah. used to like them a lot. Um, but I, I wasn't too clued up on 24-hour racing at the time and um, I'm not sure if I'd run that long a time before. But I just had it in my head. Like I, could, I got on really well with gels, so I just thought, I'm just going to have gels the whole way through this 24-hour race. It's going to be fine. I'm just going to have two or three an hour 
and it'd be cool. So uh, obviously that came crashing down on me after about eight to ten hours, <laughs> and uh, I, I really struggle. Like at Western States, they're sponsored by Cliff. So in any of the aid stations, if you've run out of your own gels or whatever, you you pick up a cliff one, and every time I, I put it to my mouth, I just remember those moments in some field in England vomiting. Mm. <laughs> it's like me with Perno and Blackcurrant, but that's a story for another oh, pod yeah, as well. That is. Yeah, yeah, my sister used to like Perno and Blackcurrant. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, well, I could tell you some stories about that. But anyway, all right, nice one. And if you get food, James, whilst we're on the subject, I'm not. I know I'm not supposed to ask you back, but. That I can't eat as a result of in a race. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm probably the, like, with you, it's, it's actually a gel and a very specific one. It's the um, SIS ginger gel, yeah. which I thought was going to save my life because uh-huh. I was like, ginger, when you're not feeling great, you can yeah. get the gels on you. Um, but I have copiously barfed them everywhere. And I, I threw out about 15 of them. I just threw them out. I was like, I, I, I can't even look at them. Yeah. Um, and actually thought of it just now is putting me off my dinner. <laughs> just I'm, I, I'm gagging I, at the thought. I saw a nice picture of you this week, actually, on uh, related to Grant's BBC thing of you <laughs> barfing in a bucket, <laughs> which, which does make me chuckle every time, James. <laughs> that was How good is that, man? I'm able to get the abs involved, squat down 24 hours into a race to barf into a bucket. Yeah, that was a... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that, Grant, for putting that on social media again. Yeah, nice one. Now, before I go, just a few words to sign off. I promise I won't do this at the back of every episode, but uh, I just wanted to say, obviously, we know this is a very difficult time still for everyone. In some ways, it's possibly getting more difficult now as the we're in this together positivity wears off. And we're feeling pressure to be making the very most of this situation. So doing the best training, being the best parent and friend, son and daughter, learning more, planning more, staying positive, being mindful, eating healthy, the list goes on. But maybe now is the right time to lower the seriousness levels a little bit. Not to try to do everything, to accept that it's okay not to be perfect, to choose grace over grit and to laugh when we don't get things right. I also think it's too easy for us to be judgmental at the moment and we don't have to be. There's so much we cannot control. How other people act and what they say is out of our control. It's especially visible on social media and maybe we don't have to contribute to it. So when you get annoyed and you go to make that incredibly witty but ultimately judgmental comment on social media, maybe pause and ask yourself what your real reason is for doing it. Is it really more about attention and recognition for you? And is there a more positive way to go about it? Maybe you can put the same level of effort into something that's much more useful, more thought-provoking or more supportive. Maybe you can be the change that you want to see and not fueling the fire of separation. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to hear more, then please subscribe, leave us a comment and share it on social media. We'd love to have many more of these conversations on living the ultra life. We will talk further about the people, the places, the culture and the training behind our running lives. I am Paul Giblin. And I'm James Stewart. And we both press record this week, I hope. We hope. Bye. (laughs) See you next time on the Pylon Ultra Pod.